this should be, you know, right down the middle panel where uh, no disagreements. Um, I know people have been talking about this one all day, so I'm excited to have this conversation uh, of really thoughtfulness of how we plan cities. Uh, and uh, we'll, I'll hand this over to Dan, and you can take it right from here. How we do? Can you hear me okay? We got the mic working right. Okay, great. Uh, greetings and welcome to this afternoon panel discussion. Uh, we are here to discuss Interstate 94. Uh, the proposed expansion and reconstruction of 3.5 mile east-west corridor of I-94, a mega project that is projected to cost more than $1 billion and shape Milwaukee's infrastructure for a generation to come. This proposed project connects to so many issues that Milwaukee grapples with over and over and over. Issues of segregation, of racial inequity, of economic mobility, of growth, of simmering tension between the city and the suburbs of environmental justice, of local control, of a changing climate, of infrastructure, of priorities. Uh, my name is Dan Schaefer and I'm a journalist and founder of The Recombobulation Area, which is a weekly opinion column and news outlet publishing on Substack. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with The Recombobulation Area, yes, we do get our name from the one-of-a-kind post-security area at Mitchell Airport in Milwaukee. Uh, I launched this endeavor, endeavor just over two years ago. Before that, I worked at the Milwaukee Business Journal, Milwaukee Magazine, Biz Times, and freelanced all over town. Uh, I don't need to tell you folks here that the news cycle in Milwaukee and Wisconsin can be rather discombobulating. Uh, so with this weekly com, we're looking to recombobulate as best we can. Uh, this media outlet is 100% reader funded through monthly and yearly subscriptions. So if you are interested in supporting independent media covering Milwaukee and Wisconsin, do check us out. I had to get that one plug in there, sorry. Um, uh, the biggest project we've done thus far at the Recombobulation Area is a multi-part series on the proposed expansion and reconstruction of I-94 called Expanding the Divide. Uh, I'm always interested in issues that don't cut along traditional political lines. Uh, several years ago, I covered the Bucks Arena debate, which was not your typical right-left divide uh, that we see so often in politics in Wisconsin. Uh, this project, too, is not neatly divided between Republicans and Democrats. With I-94 expansion, we have a Democratic governor and Republican state legislature actually on the same side of this issue. Uh, how often does that happen? Uh, they're in favor of expansion. And on the other side, we have racial justice organizations, environmental groups, faith groups, urbanists, transit groups, and some local Democratic politicians who are opposed to expansion. So for this series that I put together at the Recombobulation Area, I interviewed dozens of people over the course of several months to really get a better understanding of this proposed project and what it might mean for Milwaukee and the region. Uh, three of those people are here with us today. Cheryl Nen of Milwaukee Riverkeeper, Michael Bradley of Urban Spaceship, and Steve Voss, formerly of the MMAC, now of the Wisconsin Transportation Builders Association. Welcome, everyone. Please give a man. Uh, so I think, you know, just to get started here, um, you know, there's a question posed uh, in the title of this panel, which is, should I-94 be expanded? And I hope we can go around and each answer that question and perhaps just tell us who you are and how you got involved with this issue. Uh, Cheryl, why don't you start us off? Sure. All right, Sam. Um, so I'm Cheryl Nunn with Milwaukee Riverkeeper, and we're also part of a coalition that's called Coalition for More Responsible Transportation, or the SMART Coalition. Um, and we are opposed to the expansion. Um, 
we, uh, we've been involved with the Design 94 project going back probably a decade now. Um, uh, speaking of strange bedfellows, it, went, it got pretty far along <laughs> in the last iteration. There was an environmental impact statement done and Scott Walker, Governor Walker at the, at the time killed the project. Um, for various reasons, and we were pretty happy about it being uh, killed, and then a little bit dismayed when Governor Evers resurrected it from the dead again. Um, so uh, I think, you know, our, our major concerns at that time, I think people might remember there was a double-decker being planned um, to kind of get around the cemetery area just west of Miller Park. Um, or sorry, American Family. I'm going to mess that up a bunch of times today. Um, but you know, th that is now no longer under consideration. But the original impact statement really only looked at expansion options of different iterations. Uh, and we really, uh, you know, we're not opposed to safety. I think we're fine um, fixing the, the highway in its existing footprint, making sure that you know if there's safety improvements that need to be made to bridges, etc. Obviously, um, everyone's for that. Um, we just are um, opposed to the expansion. I think. You know, there is no data that expanding the highway um, addresses congestion and mitigate, you know, just, I'm from Chicago originally, and I can tell you after my whole lifetime adding lanes onto highways, it just makes, it seems to make the congestion worse. But I think from an environmental perspective, um, you know, we're very concerned about the runoff. So for the, the western part um, from 70th to Miller Park interchange um, would be about a 22% increase in impervious surface. And so what that means is more hard surfaces, more runoff, running um, a lot of pollution into the into rivers that already have a lot of problems. And then the eastern part of the, the project, which is like from Miller Parkway to um, 16th Street or thereabouts, um, you know, that's about a 65% increase in impervious surface that would happen there. Um, the western part of the project, all of that runoff goes right to the river. The eastern side, all of the runoff would go to the combined sewer. And so we certainly have concerns about this potentially increasing the potential for sewage overflows. Uh, if people aren't aware of this, 2018 and 2019 were the wettest years ever in southeast Wisconsin. Uh, 2018 broke the record, 2019 broke the 2018 record, and I think 2020 is the eighth wettest year in, in the books. So, um, you know, we're likely to see more rain, more runoff, more flooding, um, and we have spent a lot of time and money um, trying to improve the rivers, and so we're very concerned about, um, you know, the environmental impacts from this project. In addition, I mean, I can talk for, I'll, I'll shut up in a second. <laughs> I'll just be here for an hour talking. But, um, you know, we're worried about climate, obviously, and not only the impacts from it, but the increase in, in greenhouse gas emissions, air quality concerns, neighborhood concerns. Um, and so we also have a, an alternate, alternate vision, which basically would be fixing at six, it's at fixatsix.org, um, and also including more transit, um, both on the northern and, and southern part of the corridor. Um, and so that's kind of our vision. Um, we'd also, I think lastly, is really interested in not creating another massive interchange at Miller Park, but instead considering whether we could deconstruct highways and actually bring some of our neighborhoods together. Um, in particular, the 175, the stadium freeway interchange. Um, I would love to see that completely um, rethought uh, into, you know, basically demolishing that, that highway instead of creating something even larger and more um, that's going to, you know, divide the community even more. So, oh, sorry, shut that up. Hi, hi, I'm Mike Bradley. Um, Jeremy and I uh, got together about two years ago uh, to try to advance converse, civic conversations within the region. Uh, we began with a podcast, uh, expanded into having uh, civic conversations basically on a monthly basis. I don't know if uh, any of you have been able to join, and then you know this this conference, which is really uh, you know Jeremy's been driving uh, totally on. But 
trying to uh, bring people together and have uh, conversations about the best ways to move uh, Milwaukee forward. So I think for me, Milwaukee resident, and um, you know, I think in, in this role, an anti-highway agitator, um, you know, I just see this as a direction that it's not the way in which the market is, is uh, kind of directing us. If you were to look at the most recent uh, census uh, data that came out, uh, our region, uh, there's 56 regions, 56 metro areas, greater than 1 million people. We're 51st in growth. So I think the market's saying to us, you know, what we've been doing, you know, we, we, we've got to mix it up. And then when you look, where is growth? You know, I think you can see it. The, the growth is right here. So of the 15 fastest growing census tracts within the four county area, 12 of the 15 are within two miles of Milwaukee City Hall. You know, and, and they're in areas where, you know, people are looking for walkability, they're looking for other ways to get around. And, you know, we're looking at doing yet again a massive mega project aimed at, uh, you know, moving commuters, primarily commuters, because this is focused at, on, uh, you know, rush hour times uh, through our city uh, into downtown. So, you know, I think we need to, you know, take a step back, have a humble look at, you know, what have we been doing as a region and what are the ways in which we can improve it, so. Well, I have a different um, Now, at first, let me back up. First of all, I want to thank Jim Villa and Nayop. I want to thank Jeremy and Ange uh, from uh, New Milwaukee for putting this together, and uh, Dan for moderating this panel. Th these sort of discussions are great, and uh, they're great not because everybody agrees or comes to consensus. They're great because people disagree and can sit around the same table and drink for free on Villa, and uh, uh, that's always a good thing. So uh, first of all, thanks for, uh, for providing this forum. Uh, I come at this a little bit uh, different direction. Uh, in my previous professional incarnation, uh, it was all about economic development. And you know, manufacturing is, was, and probably always will be uh, this region's economic fastball. We have a diversified economy, but it is built on manufacturing. And that carries with it some realities. Um, manufacturers need transportation, heavy transportation infrastructure to bring products and materials to them and to take their finished products and materials away from them to markets. And so you need the capacity to do that. The question here, the simple question for the, um, for the topic and to kick us off here was should we expand I-94 East-West? I think from an economic standpoint, if you're looking at how you support a growing economy that um, has a manufacturing base, um, I think it makes a strong argument for the expansion. That's a decision this community is going to have to make. That's a, that's a decision this region is going to have to make. I do want to give a little reality check, though. Um, this thing's going to happen. And whether it happens at 6 or whether it happens at 8, it's going to happen. And 6 lanes to 8 lanes is about a 5 to 10% difference in cost, about, you know, from about a billion dollars to about 900 to 950 million. And with materials pricing uh, flip, flipping around and some of the um, design considerations flipping around, that number keeps tightening up. 
And it also, it's, it's going to be, whether it's six or eight, uh, six is in 95, 95% of the project footprint is going to be the same, whether it's six or eight. So we can talk about runoff, we can talk about impervious surfaces. You're dealing with about 10% on cost, and you're dealing with about 5% on physical footprint. This thing is going to happen because not doing it is not an option. That road was built in the middle of the last century. Its lifespan is done. Uh, we are slapping band-aids on it at the tune of about 40 to 50 million um, in terms of resurfacing. Uh, those band-aids which once lasted on a resurfaced job about 10 to 15 years because we've done them so many times they are now down to about four year lifespan. So I mean we can keep slapping band-aids on this thing at 40 million at a crack or we can rebuild it and I think that it's going to be rebuilt eventually from safety uh, concerns uh, to just the physics of concrete and roadbeds over time. So the question here isn't, you know, should we rebuild the interstate? It's, it's going to be rebuilt. It's what kind of future are you rebuilding it for? So that's, uh, I, I have an optimistic vision of, uh, of Milwaukee's future. I think this is a region on the rise. I think this is a city on the rise. I want to build I-94 East-West with the capacity for the growth that I would like to believe this city and this region is going to experiment or experience. Maybe I'm a cockeyed optimist. Maybe I'm overshooting how, uh, how big and how booming this economy is going to grow. But I'd like us to have the capacity to do it. You know, when I, uh, my, I bought my first house when I was a lot younger than this up in Madison. A little tiny two-bedroom Cape Cod on Monroe Street. Beautiful house. Little little guy right there where uh, Monroe Street forks into Nicoma and Oneana. Great spot, great location. If somebody had come to me and said, Steve, I will give you that house. I will purchase it for you. But here's the deal. You have to agree to live in that house for 50 years. I probably wouldn't have bought the old Bacienda on Monroe Street, as much as a wonderful house as it was. Because in the back of my mind, I thought, you know what? I might get married someday. And I might have kids someday. And that's a future I'd like to have the option to have. And this house with two small bedrooms on a busy corridor in Madison with a yard about the size of a garage is not really the place where I'm going to have the capacity to raise a family safely and have that future open to me. And so I went to take in that deal. And that's the question you're being asked in this community, in this city right now, is what kind of future are you building for? Are you building a really nice studio apartment and locking yourself in for the next 50, 60 years? Or are you building yourself a four-bedroom with the capacity that maybe you're going to grow, maybe you're going to have that family, maybe you're going to have a different kind of future? Because once we do this, we're not going to. Yeah, you're not going to tack another lane on this in ten years when all of a sudden the future you uh, you thought you were looking at turns out to be something different. So that's why I think it should be expanded. Is because I'm bullish on Milwaukee's future and I want us to have the capacity to capture and realize that bullish vision. Did you want to respond to that? 
Yeah, you know, I think I would just like to push back on this, this idea of a bullish vision. So right now, the six-lane configuration, pre-pandemic, 160,000 vehicles are passing through. The EIS points out, by 2040, if we go to an eight-lane configuration, 180,000 cars. So what we're talking about here, 12.5% daily. That's the growth, that's the bullish vision. When you're thinking about a person that's making a round trip commute, we're talking 10,000 people. If you look at how many people work within, um, if you look at how many people work within one and a half miles of uh, Milwaukee City Hall, 125,000 people. So, you know, the bullish vision that's being presented by the highway builders, it's really not very bullish. You know, we're talking 10,000 workers in a job environment that's already at 125. So, you know, if we want to move forward, you know, this is, this is uh, we gotta think about ways in which we can get more workers to the places that they wanna be. Two quick things, one, you're not, you're not as bullish as me, you're, you're limiting your vision. You're limiting your, uh, you're limiting your optimism in the future, I'm not. Second of all, I got the little, you know, the guy speaking for the transportation builders, let's just put this to rest. My guys are making the money, whether it's six or eight. This isn't about the transportation construction industry fighting for something that's a big cash cow for them. The contractors in my membership are gonna build it. The question is whether they're gonna build it at six, whether they're gonna build it at eight, and as I said, the difference in cost, the difference in money, is marginal in the in the scope of this project. Okay. So let's let's put that to rest that this is some special interest agenda. That's a that's a bit of a cheap shot, Mike, and I'll accept your apology. <laughs> Uh, Cheryl, I, I know you're up next year. You're part of a, a coalition that has proposed an alternative to this project uh, that would fix at six. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that both sides of this argument agree on is the fact that this highway needs work. Uh, and the debate really is whether you want to fix at the current footprint of six lanes or expand and add a lane in each direction so you have an eight lane highway massively expand the stadium interchange along uh, American Family Field. Um, so, Cheryl, maybe first you could walk us through a little bit of what the uh, opposition coalition's fix at six proposal would be and how that would be different uh, and why it would be better for Milwaukee than expanding to that eight lanes. Yep, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, I think we also have a bullish vision of Milwaukee. Um, we have a, an alternate vision of Milwaukee that I think um, you know would would include transit. I mean, I think what the fix at six uh, option is, and if you look, you can look at get more of the details and read the report at fixatsix.org. But it's basically you know making the highway safe, reconstructing it within the existing six-lane footprint, um, and then including more money for transit. You know, I think it's not a marginal difference in cost between the eight-lane alternative and the six lane modernization alternative. My understanding is it was like 200 to 300 million dollars. Um, and that is a lot of money. And um, the, you know, the issue is this is a machine that we're up against, right? This is the highway lobby. Um, what we're always told by WSDOT is that this money can only be used for expansion. It can't be used for transit. 
you know, it can't be used for local road repair, which we all look around, we know we need money for local road repair. There's always funding for expansion and not funding for these other things. But, you know, I think that what our vision is, you know, making the safety improvements, you know, I think everybody knows that the that we have this, this is in bad condition. I boat underneath the, the, the interchanges a lot as part of my job, and I know that they're in very poor condition. So I think no one's kind of negating that, but we're saying let's let's fix what we need to, let's make it safer, let's um, make sure that we're continuing to enhance transit both on the northern part, you know, along Wisconsin, or the existing kind of um, BART corridor, which is being looked at along Wisconsin. You know, let's add more um, transit, uh, light rail, BRT, something on National and Greenfield. You know, let's find op other ways for people to get where they're going, and that's what's going to ultimately address congestion. Building more highways, larger highways, is not going to do that. It also, you know, expanding the highway only really benefits the people with cars, albeit in our area that is almost everybody, right? I mean, I remember I was talking to a friend earlier today about Scott Walker, you know, used to say everybody should just have enough money that we can all afford to buy our own car. But the reality of our town is that a lot of people that live, especially in this highway corridor, many people don't have cars. They can't, they need transit to get around. Um, and, you know, expanding the highway from 70th to 16th Street and largely to facilitate a lot of folks from the burbs coming into the city is not going to help our existing communities. And I live just west of 175, um, which I do drive regularly. But, you know, that road is completely unnecessary. It was meant to be a highway spur to connect to another highway that never happened. Um, I, I get, I will concede that we need to get over the, the river. There's a river there, the Menominee. So there needs to be some level of bridge to get over the river there. But I would love to see all of that highway just blown up north and south of the highway. We have Komatsu's leaving. Komatsu just built by the School of Freshwater Sciences, which is across from where our office is. But that's a huge area of redevelopment that could be more pedestrian friendly. I just, we have a different vision. I would love to see transit a huge part of that vision. And as somebody who did grow up in the city of Chicago, I think not having transit in this town is awful for the future of the city. I think there are kids leaving because, or kids, young people, adults, professionals, a lot of people who are not staying in the city because they don't see that we have a forward-looking vision. We don't have other options to get around. I own a car, I resent that I have to own a car. I didn't buy a car until I was 35. I lived in Chicago, I lived in New York, and I don't like having a car. I have, I'm lucky I have a car, I have a job, and I can afford one, but I shouldn't, you know, that's not everyone in this, in this community. And so this, this, this highway is creating a barrier for many people in our community, and, and I see these constant expansions without any effort to go after the transit money, to go after funding for deconstruction, um, I just think is also really hobbling our future um, as, as a city. Um, so anyway, hopefully, and if people are more interested, please check it out, the report on the website, fixessix.org. So Michael, one of the headlines in this project, uh, many of the headlines in this project have been about the additional lane in each direction mm -hmm. and about the stadium interchange. But there's a lot, obviously a lot more to it than that. I think there are six interchanges and exits along this project that get reconfigured along with the big headline things that you see is costing a billion dollars. Um, could you perhaps walk us through what all is being proposed there and give a little bit of your take on, on each yeah. of those interchanges? Yeah, so you know, I, I think the, the most important place to begin is in the west. So the west uh, begins at 70th Street. And the, the big issue, the big engineering problem, and this has been, you know, we've been, we've been having this debate for 25 years in this region. But the big engineering problem with this corridor is that there's a cemetery. We ripped the highway through a cemetery. And then after 1970, 
we decided, okay, you know, we can't do moving graves anymore. So it goes through a cemetery and there's this geographic constriction, a pinch point. So to handle the pinch point right now, there's the Holly Road exit. And the Holly Road exit allows both east and west transportation uh, for people that live on the west side of Milwaukee, Wauwatosa, and West Dallas. What this does is it closes Holly Road going towards downtown, takes that lane and uses it to squeeze in the eight lanes. So immediately you can look at this and you go, geez, you know, there's guys on the west side of Milwaukee, you know, they want to get downtown. You know, they lose that in the eight lane configuration. So that's problematic. You move forward a little bit further east. You hit the stadium interchange. So in order to rebuild this, the way that Wistot is proposing it, it's going to be massive. It's going to tower over the Story Hill neighborhood. And part of it is that it rebuilds it in this configuration that the community, that Cheryl and, and, um, and, and everyone is part of, um, they've already had design charrettes. You know, they've had extensive community meetings about changing the vision for 175. 175 is going to stay the same if this gets rebuilt. This is, you know, it's a huge problem. This is one of the, it's like the Park East, you know. This has become like, you know, boomtown in terms of redevelopment. Like, we've got one of those spurs, excuse me, I'm doing my, <laughs> we have one of those spurs on the west side of town. It's not doing anybody any good. It separates a great neighborhood from a great park and from other neighborhoods, and it, you know, it just creates a divide. So, you know, if we rebuild the interchange the way that's being proposed, it's going to shoot these cars off as if it's a highway. And, you know, it, it's just going to make that design really hard to move forward with in the future. Then you move forward. You hit two of the worst exits in Wisconsin, without a doubt. You know, I think if anybody's familiar with 35th Street and then what I, you know, the disaster that is the 25th to 28th Street exit. These are just horribly designed exits that have this enormous impact on the built environment. You know, the, the area that, that's over in Avenues West, that was one of the densest areas before the highway was built. You know, all of this traffic, you know, it, it's killed, you know, a lot of that commercial capacity that used to be over there. It's made it really challenging to have a business because what do you have in front of you but like a, a really bad basically on-ramp you know where you used to have walkable streets and one of the things that this plan conspicuously does not deal with is the fact that these exits 35th and 20 you know kind of 27th ish aren't fixed you know they're, they're going to be rebuilt the way that they are today so you know I think when you're thinking about the needs of the community you just go step by step by step you know, you got Holly, you know, it gets worse for people in Milwaukee. So, you know, of course there's going to be agitators and people on the west side that say, hey, I don't want this. I want to be able to get downtown. That's where the action is. They lose that. You know, it's going to be worse for Story Hill because the interchange is going to be, you know, over their neighborhood. It's going to be worse for Washington Park, Washington Heights, because the highway is going to stay. And then you get over, you know, Pigsville and all these, you know, the neighborhoods on the near west side. And they have a, there's a transportation crisis in terms of bad streets where people, you know, there's pedestrian conflicts. You look at, you know, 
unfortunately they make all this data publicly available, you can see where people are getting hit by cars, pedestrians. You know, it's a hot spot. And you know, this plan just does not address the needs of the community. And you know, I think part of it is that because it's so focused on let's do eight as opposed to let's do six and meet the needs of the, of the neighborhoods. So I'm going to ask one more question here, and then we're going to see if we can get a couple from uh, from the audience here. So we always, in Milwaukee, we always hear about how segregated we are as a city. And that is one of the arguments from many of the opposition groups opposed to this project, saying that it would further segregate this already very segregated city. Um, so when the Zoo Interchange Project began about a decade ago, many of these same opposition groups uh, sued, over civil, sued the state over civil rights issues, saying that this project discriminated against minorities and contributed to racial segregation. Uh, central to the lawsuit was the claim that the project did not include public transit improvements. Uh, those groups won. So Steve, as a proponent of this project, what, if anything, is being done for this project to ensure a less discriminatory outcome? Well, this is, uh, this is a dance we see on almost any major highway project where groups sue, we reach a settlement, and uh, there is some additional money thrown into projects um, advocated by those groups. And I think you'll see the same thing here in this project. What, what we're going through now with the supplemental EIS process at, uh, at DOT is hearing from these groups, hearing what sort of things are, are concerns of their, those will be incorporated into the final renewed preferred alternative that get uh, uh, that gets forwarded. And so, yeah, this is this is a process. It's you see it on almost any major highway construction project, and uh, I imagine there will be there will be suits brought or grievances brought, and eventually they will be settled, and there will be you know, money allocated to to certain things. There, I think one thing we do need to realize too, though, in terms of you know segregation and you know building a, an inclusive region. We talk a lot about, and I think there's a perception that this is a corridor that brings people from the suburbs into Milwaukee to take advantage of Milwaukee. I don't know how many of you drive that thing in the morning. There's as much traffic heading west as there is east. And there's a lot of people who live in Milwaukee, who like living in Milwaukee, cool city. Like they got good jobs out in those suburbs, and they're commuting the other direction. And so you know, if we want to open up our opportunity for workers in this city, we need that capacity as well because more and more of the traffic is going east to west as much as it's coming west to east. And you need to open those economic opportunities to the people living in Milwaukee heading out to good jobs in Waukesha County or into the western suburbs of Milwaukee County um, the same way that the highway opens up opportunity for people living in western suburbs or in western counties to come in and work in downtown Milwaukee. So there is a two-way um, traffic there, and that's something that that east-to-west movement is something that's opening up opportunities because there's a lot of growth in those, uh, those exurban uh, areas. But is the only way to address that issue through an additional lane? Could it be addressed in other ways? I think that's what that's what the argument boils yeah, down and, to. And that's, yeah, that, that's a part of the process as well. I would argue that the more difficult you make it for people to commute from Milwaukee to their jobs in, let's say, Waukesha, Brookfield, or you know, 
Pewaukee even, you know, out in, out in the western suburbs, the less likely it is they're going to stay here or stay in those jobs. And so what you're going to do is you, you know, the, if you make it easy for somebody or easier for somebody to get from here to there, it's more likely they're going to go from here to there. You know, one of the reasons I don't come here to this area a whole lot, it's kind of a nightmare to drive to and find parking. I don't come here that often. It's a great area, but it's just inconvenient, so I avoid it. Same thing, if, if you make it easier for people to take that commute, either west to east or east to west, it makes it more likely that they're going to do it. And if you're coming west to east, it's like, okay, maybe I'll go to Carnivore rather than going to Flemings out in, out in Brookfield. If you're going east to west, it's, you know what, maybe I can still live in Milwaukee and work at GE. So let me ask a bigger, bigger picture question then. You know, it, we're here at this conference that's talking about urbanism, right? When you envision the future for a city like Milwaukee, do you want it designed for more cars or fewer cars? Or in the next 20, 20 years from now, are we better off with more cars or fewer cars in this city? I think we're better off with what, the, what people decide they want. And I think technology is probably pushing us in the direction of more cars, or I might not even say more cars, more vehicles. Because technology with autonomous vehicles is heading in a direction where people's transit is going to be more and more personalized. It's going to be more point-to-point, -point, more door-to-door -door than traditional old-school transit designed in the last century that tells you where you have to start and where you can finish. It keeps you in your place and keeps you in your lane. I think the direction of technology, particularly autonomous vehicle technology, is moving in a direction of more vehicles with more customizable options for people um, rather uh, rather than less. But that's something that the market's going to dictate and it's going to be dictated by people's choices and I, I would like to have the capacity to accommodate those choices um, rather than force those choices by choking off that capacity. I just I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say is that in order to address these equity concerns and environmental injustice concerns, that we need to continue to sue. I, I mean, there's been two different lawsuits already on I-94, and Dennis Krasinski is here, who is one of the lawyers on that case. But I mean, they had to sue, I mean, as, on behalf of Micah and ACLU and other groups that are really leading the fight on this, you know, in order to get bus routes. Like, people, expand, being able to go west to jobs doesn't matter if you don't have a car and if you don't have an autonomous car. And that lawsuit actually put extra buses on the road so that people could get on a bus and get to jobs in Waukesha County. And unfortunately, that settlement is now, I think, done. So those buses are no longer even running. I mean, they were able to get a legal settlement and, and some remedy for a very short period of time. But there's no regional conversation about funding these buses. Um, as part of the Waukesha diversion as well, there was a talk about Waukesha you know, providing some funding to, to deal with buses to get people from Milwaukee to those jobs out west. But, um, you know, that is not happening. And there aren't, there aren't transit options for people. There's own a car or suffer um, with the existing bus system. Um, you know, the streetcar is great, but the streetcar doesn't really interface with the buses. And we need to think of a regional transit, like whether it's bus rapid transit or streetcars or whatever, to get people who don't have cars to be able to get from the city to the west and vice versa from the west to the east. And, um, and it's just really frustrating. And I think a lot of it's about choices. We're just constantly told, well, all this money is just good for, you know, for expansion. Well, we know as part of this infrastructure bill that just passed, 
I think there's $50 billion for highway deconstruction in there. Are we going to apply for it? Probably not. There's extra money being thrown in for transit. Are we going to apply for it? Probably not. And then we're told, oh, we can only use this money for expansion. Um, the, and the highway builders are going to get the money regardless. And so thanks for your public comments and move along on your merry way. Um, and that's normally what, it, what happens. And I'm on two different advisory committees for this project where I can like add in like one sentence and one word answers to some weird online polls they make us do on our phones. And it's very frustrating um, because I think a lot of us see the, the, the potential in the future of the city want it to be, we want more options, not less options. And we want more people to be able to, you know, get where they need to go and, and, and bring, you know, improve their lives. Sorry. Let, let me just say, Cheryl, I'm kind of in the heat of agreement with you on transit. Yeah. Because, I mean, we... Heat of agreement. I'll take it. I mean, we are. I mean, my association previously and currently is all about increasing revenues in the transportation funds so that we don't have to, you know, place Sophie's Choice with, you know, transit or roads or cars or buses and that. We need an integrated regional system that includes all of them. And you know, not for nothing, the buses drive on roads. I mean, we're we're there, and so um, I I don't want anybody to you know perhaps I've clumsily phrased things, but I don't want anybody to misconstrue this as something that pits roads against against transit. Now, I mean, at least from my standpoint and our association's standpoint, uh, we we are fully appreciative of the need for an integrated regional system that includes both. Um, and what we are constantly fighting for at the federal level and at the state level is adequate funding so that we can do both. I mean, we, I think we are capable as a society uh, of walking and chewing gum uh, of these two things at the same time. The problem we have right now is we have a transportation fund at the state level that is running about a $800 million to billion dollar deficit in terms of meeting the needs out there and adequately uh, funding them. And so what ends up is you end up in a state budget cycle or in a transportation planning cycle at DOT, and it's, well, we don't have enough money, where are we gonna do it? And it ends up pitting us against each other. And I don't think that's a productive place to be um, for either of us. And unfortunately, transit often ends up on the short end of the stick because the transit constituency is smaller and less vocal in some cases. Jeremy, do we, have, do we have time for one audience question, or are we up against <laughs> it? Five minutes. Okay, five minutes. All right. Um, so, uh, I just ask, maybe you can start with Steve and go down. Just quickly turn around and describe what you see. <laughs> Good question. What, what, what does it represent? What do you see in there, just in your own words? Just like three or four sentences. I see people moving freely to and from where they want to be. I see division and a lot of pavement <laughs> and pollution. Sorry. All right. So I'm, I'm <laughs> extremely familiar with what we're looking at here. So this this road, this this overpass that you see, Winnebago Street. Where, where in that, this is the county health services building, this was the most spectacular intersection in the city of Milwaukee. You know, it was this five-point intersection, and it was beautiful. Got leveled, completely leveled. You can, like, there's no scraps of it left. If you were to go a little bit further up, you can see another overpass. That's 12th Street. 
12th Street, and then the next overpass down there, that's Walnut Street, 12th and Walnut, that was the heart of the black community. Destroyed. So, you know, like, and these aren't market decisions. You know, we can talk about the market. These, these were, this, was the, this was a government decision to destroy this corridor. And what you can see, if you were to continue up, you can see disinvestment for miles. So, you know, we, we, we gotta get real about some of these decisions. Yeah, just to add a little context to that, um, in my series, one, I talked to Reggie Jackson, who studies segregation in Milwaukee, and he, told, he gave me some numbers saying that when I-43 was built, 14,000 homes were destroyed. Half of those homes were black-owned homes. So. And just a perspective check, in the preferred alternative right now for eight lanes, six houses would be displaced. So, On the couch there. Thank you. So um, when, you, when you look at what's going on in Milwaukee, I kind of see a lot of positives here in many ways in transportation. We've got a new BRT line going east to west. We've got a study of the 27th Street corridor about other potential transit alternatives. Uh, I know the Regional Transit Leadership Council is looking at last mile. How do we make or integrate our transit system better? We've also got a port that's expanding. One of the only ports in the, the nation that had growth last year, carrying more goods and services in and out of Milwaukee. We're going to have cruise lines landing there. And it seems to me we want to have a freeway system that serves that capacity that we're building at the port to build our business here. And we also have the opportunity to expand transit. Kind of the, the interesting thing is we can do both of those things. I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I guess I'm, I'm curious, because I've heard this statement that, well, it's one or the other. But everything I understand about federal highway funding is it has to be spent on highways. But there is transit funding, and we have pursued that, and we've been successful. So can't we do both? I'd love us to do both. It goes, it goes back to what I said before. I mean, th this is a funding issue um, at, the, at the state level, is how do we capitalize our transportation fund on an ongoing basis. And I mean, there's been about five different studies and different audits at the state levels, done uh, by Democrat administrations, Republican administrations, legislatures, governors, and they all come up with the same punchline, which is that if you want to maintain our system of transportation and transit adequately statewide, as well as the megas, we're running about 800 to a billion dollars short every year in the transportation fund. So I mean, that's a challenge we need to meet so that we don't have these tough choices. But I think I think your you know your question and the question that really has to be grappled with on this whole thing is, you know, what is the future and what kind of future are we building for? You know, this is urban spaceship. Are you building a spaceship that can go to the moon, or are you building one that can go to Mars? That's the discussion we're having. I think just to, I think it's important that we look at a little bit of the reality of what's happening with that too, because we have a situation where all of these mega projects, these highway reconstruction projects, have been funded, and we have a situation where a lot of the transit projects in the region have not. And so we have, you know, this region is not able to uh, have a have a tax to go towards a regional transit transit authority. This region has gone backwards on bus transit for 20 years. And even just in this past budget where, you know, Democrats and Republicans agreed to expand this highway, we had Republicans cut the funding for transit in Milwaukee and Madison in half. So 
it would be great to do both. It would be great to rebuild this highway and do transit, but we're not. Right. We're not. And the and I think what Cheryl was alluding to as well is that the only way that transit has been funded in this region is through lawsuits. We had the zoo interchange project, which is still ongoing, uh, get sued, have five years of funding for a bus project uh, called Job Lines that brought people out to the suburbs, hundreds of people to jobs, and that. That ran its course, and nobody was there. The political will to extend that was not there from anyone. So I think, yes, best case scenario, let's, let's, let's do all of these things, but we're not. We're prioritizing highways for everything else. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'd add, I'm somebody who lived in the suburbs and been very supportive of the city, because I think it's necessary for the health of this entire region. But I sense a different attitude with suburban mayors and leaders saying, Transit is important. We want that to work to serve our communities and the city. And that's something I don't think happened 20 years ago in the way that I see it now. So I think there, there's reasons to be hopeful that we can fund uh, transit systems that's kind of future looking that would serve our community very well. I think they're saying a lot of the right things. I'd like to see them actually fight for it, though. Yeah. All right, I think that wraps things up. Thank you to Steve and Cheryl and Michael. Thank you. Thank you to everyone here. Thank you very much.